Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The following is a presentation of the SpeedSport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in. Pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Today's guest currently competes part-time in the NASCAR Cup Series, driving the number 15 Ford Mustang for Rick Ware Racing. He's also an analyst for NASCAR on Fox on NASCAR Race Hub. Your 2007 NASCAR Bush Series Rookie of the Year. Check this resume out in the Cup Series. 473 races over 17 years. Two wins, 42 top tens, two poles. Won the Coke Zero 400 Daytona. That's a feather in the cap. Also a Talladega winner, Mike. In the Xfinity Series, 107 races over 11 years. Two wins, 49 top tens, and three poles. And all of this and more has transitioned into a test driver role for Ford Performance, which included assisting in development of NASCAR's new next-gen car. So we'll pick his brain there. Say hi to David Raven. Dave, <laughs> David Reagan. David, say hi to Mike Wallace. <laughs> hello, he's, hello. Uh, he's yeah, for me to y'all having me on. Well, David, thank you for being on. And what a resume, Jeff Kent. I, I mean, that's it. pretty amazing. And then one thing about David, a lot of people don't know, he's still a young man. I mean, he's right. a, he's a kid. I, and I got to set this up for you because David, I've known him for a long time, known his father, Ken, for a long time. But uh, I was talking with you on Saturday, telling you I was at a birthday party for my two-year-old granddaughter. So I pull out of the driveway, go down the road, and I knew David had built a new house somewhere down there. I'm passing his driveway, and here's this real astute-looking urban farmer, <laughs> right? Got a really nice set of bib overalls on, got his blower, and I back up and. I said, darn, bud, you're looking good. <laughs> so he uh, was nice enough to agree to come on the show after, you know, he's a test driver. And he does his own yard work. That's amazing. Yeah, yep. he was, he, <laughs> I can't tell if he drove into the dirt or somebody made him mad that drove in his driveway and drove on the dirt. So uh, <laughs> so that was a prelim of how so, so the, No, that's cool. I mean, you know. Uh, but, David, you were telling me, and I'm so intrigued by it because we're trying to understand this new race car. And, of course, I'm not racing. Jeff's not racing, but we're analyzing it. But I find out that you're the, the full-time test driver for Ford. So I guess the best way to ask this is what do you think about this new car? I mean, I knew it seems like we got some 
nuances that aren't perfectly good on it on racetracks if we have a tire failure or they're breaking a few parts but overall give us uh, your viewpoint tell us what you do there yeah thanks mike and, and jeff for uh for having me on and, and you're right uh, mike the, those overalls like i told you they were a christmas gift from my wife so it's only appropriate that i, I wear them around the house sometimes well but, i think you're obliged actually it's, yeah, yeah but point. you looked really good i can tell you that man i i thought about green acre as soon as i drove by yeah but i can't uh i can't wear those in the race car but we uh yeah i mean as you mentioned uh i i still wanted to be involved in, in motorsports and, and this role with Ford performance kind of came up a couple of years ago. They knew we were transitioning into this next gen race car. And with the testing limits that NASCAR has imposed on a lot of the teams and, and organizational tests, uh, each manufacturer uh, has a, a test car that specifically we're collecting uh, tire data. So we, we go to the racetrack and, and we do tune on the car and kind of do some other studies to, help develop parts and pieces and and last fall when nascar was trying a lot of different aero combinations and engine combinations you know we could go and do some of that uh maybe a little quicker and easier than the teams could uh but mainly what we're we're collecting tire data to try to make our simulators more realistic uh to support the race teams and so th this is really a, a good combination that I can still be involved in the sport. I can still go sit behind the seat of a race car, you know, feel like I'm contributing something uh, to uh, to the race teams, but I don't have that responsibility and stress of, uh, you know, traveling 40 weeks a year, uh, trying to, to, you know, entertain and, and, and fight for sponsorship dollars that are so crucial. So, yeah, it's been a, a really good uh, transition, transition for me the last couple of years, and, and I've had a lot of fun doing it and it's been fun to see this next gen car kind of you know come through the development stage and now see it on the racetrack and speaking of which we're three races in now and, and as a fan it would appear that the racing is pretty good what do you think you know i think it's been good i, I think the the product on the racetrack has been pretty good the last few years but uh yeah i mean that's been encouraging that these three races uh you know three Three different winners. Uh, you've had some last lap passes uh, or, or race for the, the win in, in all three. Uh, you've got some wrecks. You've got some spin outs. You, you've got a little bit of drama. You, you know, it, they, they've been good. I mean, uh, I'm also kind of a, a glass half full kind of guy. So I, I generally try to look at the positive in most things. But I, I think the racing has, um, has, has been fun to watch. It's been entertaining. It looks like the drivers are having to drive these cars. Uh, a little different than the other cars. So it's given them a little bit of trouble until they can kind of figure things out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think so far so good. Well, David, we know you ran the Daytona 500 and you do all this testing. Do the cars drive different? I mean, you're, you're a guy that would know probably more than anybody. Tell us what the difference from what, as we refer to as the old car, last year's car to this year, what, what's, the, what's the driver feeling? Yeah, Mike, it does drive different. Uh, I mean, this is a, it's a different animal, uh, independent rear suspension. Um, the tires are, are a little bit wider. Uh, they're obviously 18 inch wheels. So the sidewalls are a lot shorter, which gives the driver a little different feel. Uh, the car is more symmetrical. So when it does get loose, when it does gain y'all and, and kind of get sideways in the corner, our old cars would gain downforce, but this one actually loses downforce uh, whenever it gets sideways. That's why you're seeing a lot of guys just start to get a little loose and then it snaps around really, really quick um, because it's hard to anticipate that feeling. And, and Mike, you've driven enough that, you know, generally you can kind of feel the car set on the right rear tire and, and kind of uh, dictate how you get through the corner but this one um it just it just doesn't have that same feel so i think it'll it'll take time for these drivers to run you know multiple races at different racetracks uh to kind of get that feel that they're looking for in order to go fast and be comfortable and then the, the teams are going to figure out how to get these race cars to drive better um man and in years past we've had uh, hundreds of races and hours and hours of testing and wind tunnel time and all this information where, where they could 
fine tune these race cars and get them to drive really, really good. And this is just a new animal. So it will take some time. It'll get better, but it's been fun to watch these guys uh, have a really uh, hard challenge to figure out how to go fast and, and not wreck. So, so David, if you, I'm not trying to get technical or over technical. I'm just trying to understand and the race fans. We've got a lot of response from people about the new car. You were mentioning when this car kind of gets in the corner, gets in yaw, if you want to use the word, which means the back kind of, trying to lead to front just a little, a little sideways it snaps around and the old cars created downforce was that intentionally built that way was the car designed that it's a challenge or is it just a byproduct of how the car was designed i think it was designed uh, that way you know jim france uh, really had this idea that that he wanted the cars to be off the race ground uh, off the racetrack you know not slammed to the ground and and more symmetrical where you know you don't have the tail offset and the nose offset and, and the car starts looking twisted up and i think the manufacturers wanted it too just to kind of keep the cars uh with, with that brand identity to be consistent to what they have on the showroom floor but really the main the main reason this is happening is under the car uh that the cars are off the ground you can see the front uh splitters they are not sealed uh, to the racetrack like in years past, but a lot of our downforce is all derived from, from underneath the car and, and the diffuser, which is a, 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 a term that, you know, there's like little, um, you know, splitters almost on the rear of the race car and all kinds of sports car racing and IndyCar racing. They've all used this technology for a long time, but it's most efficient when a lot of air is rolling under the car. But whenever that car gets sideways, that air traveling under the car, it, it's reduced, it's choked down. So you lose a lot of downforce when the car gets sideways. So I, it's not going to be that big of a deal at road courses and maybe at the short tracks. But when you're running a 175 or 185 miles an hour, uh, they, they become a little bit of a handful. So I guess that's what everybody's talking about, Jeff, mm -hmm. when those cars are blowing a tower or getting through the grass sideways they talk about the diffuser making sure it doesn't get broke off the back that's what you're saying saying david it's underneath the back of the car it's got kind of got fins or whatever no, no, no. i had to uh, you sent me running for my thesaurus there <laughs> <laughs> <Diffusion>. <laughs> yeah well yeah I've, I've heard them talk about it enough on the race shows because as a uh you know we've had we've had a fair amount of spin outs this year for well, here's a, a short time here's a related question maybe it's a stupid question but that's what i'm here for david let me ask you this you're talking about how the car performs when it goes into a spin as a test driver do you purposely throw it into a spin or is that all stuff that that they figure out in the wind tunnel how does that work yeah th yeah yeah that, that, that's a good question yeah they do figure that out in the wind tunnel now i i have not spun the car out yet but but if i do uh, hopefully I don't hit the wall, but I'm sure that would be some really good information uh, that they get. But but the risk isn't quite worth the reward on that. Gotcha. So, you know, not not intentionally, but they, they can figure it out. You know, and there's moments where when you're testing, you get a little bit loose or you catch it. Uh, so absolutely, they can see those trends. But as far as, as being that aggressive to intentionally, you know, spin out a wreck, uh, that they, they right. want to protect that race car. And, and I've wrecked enough on my own, so I don't want to wreck any time. <laughs> See, that's, that's the difference between being a test driver and a crash test dummy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's right. Yeah, so David, we got about a little over three minutes in this segment to finish up. But what I'd like to ask you in reference to the test car, since you got me really intrigued by the whole thing, I didn't know that each manufacturer had their own test. Who, who runs the test team? Is that a Ford thing, or is that done through a, a particular race team for Ford? Yeah, so Ford does have some of their own uh, employees that are uh, kind of uh, managing the program, but but it's really collective uh, with all the Ford race teams. So at each test, there'll be some representatives from Penske, from Stuart Haas, from Roush Racing, you know, a front row motorsports that will be there and, and they kind of drive what the test plan is. You know, they all get together, you know, several weeks before we're at the racetrack and they say, look, you know, what we, we really want to understand, you know, what uh, the rear toe and, and the, you know, maybe the air pressures and, and the aero settings, you know, how high to run the car, how low to run the car, you know, different things. So they come up with a test plan collectively that all the teams can pull that data from. Now, every team will interpret that information a little bit different, but, you know, from a manufacturer standpoint, well, we just want to feed that information to the teams as much as we can uh, to try to help them make better decisions. 
Let me ask you a question that came up in the Xfinity race on Saturday out at Las Vegas. And I just want to know if this, and I'm understanding the technical side, the your side of the thing right now as a test driver. I heard Kurt Busch doing the analytical part of the, of the broadcast. He says, well, Toyota provides all the teams with information to the detail of where you should possibly line up on a restart, inside or outside, was his, his exact quote. Is that really the type of information that's available to race teams out there? It is, Mike, and it's really crazy. Um, and you think about all sports, the, the, the analytics, you know, in, in baseball, you know, when to make the shift, what what pitch uh, the, the pitcher's going to throw on, on a 3-2 count, you know, is that batter going to likely swing or not, that they've got thousands of metrics that they measure, and, and NASCAR is no different, uh, that they have thousands of, of things that you used to just have to make that gut decision back in the day that, you know, you've raced hundreds of races that you would know, but now that they do have a, a you know, history that they've collected this information and they see trends and they know at 4:30 when qualifying is going to start this weekend in Phoenix, where the, sh the, the shade is going to be on the racetrack. They know the temperature that, that it's likely to change over the course of 30 minutes and how that shade is going to affect the racetrack. You know, every single restart, uh, who who takes the lead and what position and, and, and what line to choose. So, you know, some of that information, um, you know, it, it's hard to say that it's always going to be accurate, but absolutely you, you can get trends and you can study that and, and that will help you make better split second decisions. So when, when Hendrick Motorsports, the top three, Hendrick Motorsports cars, they all took two tires uh, at uh, Las Vegas on Sunday night. I don't think that was a coincidence. I'm sure they had some type of data in front of them that they said, hey, it, it's likely that if we take two tires, we're going we're gonna to have a shot to win this thing and, and that blah, 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 whatever information they had, and, and, and maybe that won them the race. But, yes, there is thousands of pages of documents that you can study every weekend, and, and that information's out there. Well, Jeff Kent, all as I can tell, David Reagan and I, in our early days, we did some redneck stuff then. Is that right? Yeah, because we just, you want to pit? We, well, it's up to you. You decide. Come on. We're... <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear some stories. We're talking to David Reagan. We're learning about his uh, position as a, a test driver uh, for Ford Performance. Uh, he's like a, a like a test pilot. He, he is like, a test pilot. Like Tom Cruise in, in Top Gun, you know? Maverick. Yeah. I went to the danger zone. Yeah. We're going to take a time out here. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. And on the line with us today, our guest, David Reagan. Once again, here's Mike. Well, Jeff Kent, I was I was impressed with the information David just told that us. That was and, really good and, stuff. And, and no, that was fun. The, all the analytical stuff and that, and uh, I'm glad to hear uh, all the teams have provided that. But you know, our concept of this show and all of our race fans around the world want to know who was David Reagan before he was David Reagan. So, David, it's up to you to tell us where you come from, how you created interest in racing. Let's start back from whenever you can remember. Tell us, did you always have an interest in motorsports, or did it just come about someday? You know, I did as a kid. Uh, my father raced some uh, at the local short track levels in Georgia and ran a few NASCAR races back in the mid-1980s. And so I was born in 1985, so I don't really remember much other than seeing the race cars, kind of, you know, watching them work on the cars. I, I wasn't old enough that they let me go to the racetracks um until i got a little older then i do remember him you know running some of the local short track asphalt and dirt uh, around middle georgia and uh and south georgia and so you know as a as a kid i mean i i wanted to go race but my dad was still racing some so it, it we really didn't have the the money or the the time i think for me to go race and him and then i would say in the early 1990s um that kind of shifted a little bit to where he had kind of you know quit racing and he had a local uh parts store and a machine shop so he did engine work and sold parts and pieces to local racers so i could hop in a go-kart on occasion and you know go race a little bit we never took it very serious until um these bandolero cars were rolled out uh, humpy wheeler and 
Uh, Bruton Smith, they, they had the Legends Car Program, but they started this uh, Bandolero series, which is basically like a go-kart, Briggs and Stratton engine with a roll cage. And, um, yeah, that was my first real race car that, that we got in 1997 and uh, started racing. So we came up to Charlotte. We raced around South Carolina. What Georgia. age would you have been right there, David? What was uh, the... So, I was 12. I was 12 years old then, um, which, you know, compared to a lot of kids today, that's, that's a, a little start. late. Why didn't you were a little old? Compared to the kids these days, they, you know, they got them in a race car when they're like five years old. I mean, yeah. look at uh, Kevin Harvick's kid, right? Jeff and I have been making a joke. Every show we keep learn something more about age and, <laughs> And I jump yeah. back to this all the time. I referenced it about half a dozen times in the show. I remember the first time I tried to get a ride with Kale Yarborough. I was 31, and he told me I was a little too young for the program. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I'm that's, sorry. That's, we'll go back. To, okay, so age 12, you're in a bandolero. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed just the, the racing, the driving. I enjoyed working on the cars. I enjoyed kind of having a little shop and a toolbox and just everything that, that came with it and uh and slowly started taking it a little more serious um i never really as a bandolero driver even a legends car driver you know i didn't really think man i'm gonna be in nascar in a couple of years you know i didn't really think about that much at that time i was having fun i still played some other sports in school but about 16 years old 17 years old um i think my dad said like look if if you want to be serious about motorsports you got to quit all that other stuff and you have to go to school just enough to you know get a, a diploma and graduate and 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 do your thing but but you can't do anything else you can't have a girlfriend you can't go to dances you can't go to football games like you, you got to be committed you that would have been the end of my career <laughs> <laughs> so okay dad uh, forget about it i don't so, really yeah, want so to do Jeff, this yeah you, you, you would have went the other way but i i said yeah i i, I like racing and, and let's do it so we we uh picked up the family we moved to charlotte north carolina when i was uh 16 years old and um uh, a real good buddy of, of mike wallace uh, a guy named barry owen uh, we rented a little shop space from him and uh, got a, a late model stock. I went to school here in Concord, and basically I went to school just enough to say I was there and could pass my grades, and then I would go straight to Lexington, North Carolina on the weekends, and I would work in that shop, and we raced a, a late model a little bit. We got an ARCA car, and then that's when I really started taking it more serious and you know, starting to build those relationships, and man, I just made laps in anything. Um, had a lot of people that supported me financially that uh, allowed us to, you know, buy those engines and buy those cars. And uh, when I got out of high school, I started to uh, run a few more ARCA races for our, our family-owned team, but that was about all we could do. We, we really didn't have the money to run anything else or, or to travel and, and chase the, a point series like that and um david let me interrupt that's a lot let me just interrupt just for a quick second there he mentioned his father and he didn't mention it but it's ken reagan right you know ken is a very well known around the race world and in the nascar world back in the day and still very popular but go ahead i'm sorry i just kind of let everybody know here's a question for you too now wasn't ken wasn't your dad ken didn't he when he run didn't he run 600 racing or something like that at some point or am i crazy yeah, no, you're exactly right. And so, you know, when I was you got to remember, Jeff Kent is a famous yeah. legends racer. Well, I, I, mean, I wanted to get into that he, a little he bit. He ran more. the whole Fox <laughs> radio. We hot had rod the, the Fox had two legends cars, and we were we ran out there for about five years or so, I guess. And then and then the management came in and decided that I needed to attend afternoon meetings on a regular basis, and there went my legends career but uh but it was a lot of fun so so david you ran you ran the two so you ran the tuesday night summer shootout series and all that stuff in a legends car or what that's right yeah i mean uh from georgia we won the the charlotte uh championship in uh, 1999 and 2000 so we, we would drive up to charlotte every monday Yep. practice race on tuesday and drive back home so wow. uh we, we did that while living in georgia uh but again my father knew that if i had any chance of, of meeting these people and getting an opportunity to drive something that i needed to be 
uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so that's that's kind of what we did. And, and I remember those old, you know, 99.7 Fox uh, uh, Legends cars. <laughs> exactly. uh, I, don't know, no, I, don't, I don't remember we, you ever running into me. Where were we? Well, I was usually uh, probably in your way, yeah. <laughs> and uh, as, you, as you sped on by or something. But, yeah, I mean, you know, because everybody, all the divisions rate, are practiced together on Monday night. Now, I'm assuming you were in the, the pro division. Uh, when I won my championship, I was uh, in a young lion, and then I won it in semi-pro. Okay, uh, I gotcha. never won a, a, a pro championship, but uh, I won the two in, in young lions and semi-pro. And I went down um, to we went down to Atlanta one time and ran the 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 summer shootout down there. Wasn't it on like Thursday night, Wednesday night, or Thursday night, something like that? Yeah, that's a good memory. Yeah, yeah, Thursday night thunder. Man, I thought you said you that hit that your head a bunch of times. <laughs> you, you're pretty good memory. There, I actually yeah. did pretty well. I, th I think I took. I think I finished third in a feature down there at Atlanta Motor Speedway, which is good for me. I mean, I'm going to tell you what, David, this is the most <laughs> excited I've seen Jeff since we've done this show. So, I mean, we're, we're hitting a, a real soft spot here with him, man. Well, yeah, well, don't I'm make me bust out my photos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's right. But, well, you know, I, I, so I had a lot of fun, started taking it more serious. And, and really, I was at a turning point uh, when I graduated high school. Like I said, we didn't really have the, the, the financial backing to run a lot of races. And, you know, you, you're testing and you got to have big trucks and trailers and flying around like, like it just starts taking more money. And I, I was just about ready to just – kind of throw in the towel and, and just say, hey, I had a fun. I'm going to go to school and get an education and, and probably still work in motorsports in some way, shape, or form. But I got an opportunity to move to Nashville, Tennessee, and drive for uh, a, a guy named Wayne Day who owns the 31W Insulation Company. He had an ARCA team and a small Bush Series team. And, uh, and, and yeah, so I, I won my first ARCA race driving for him. We, uh, we, we ran really well. Uh, that, that was 2005. So that was the year after I graduated high school and uh, made a couple of Xfinity starts for him. And then uh, that same year, Roush Racing uh, had a, uh, a driver tryout. They called it the Driver X, Driver uh, X Series. And they invited a bunch of drivers and said, hey, let's uh, you know, go test at Martinsville and at Darlington in a, in a Craftsman truck. And I did that and, and was chosen to, uh, to fill in uh, in some truck races that next season and kind of be a teammate to Mark Martin uh, on a partial schedule. So that, that, that was ultimately my, my first big break with a, a real team and really good equipment. And um, I learned a lot. And, and that following year of 07, uh, I was chosen to replace Mark in the six cup car um, starting in 2007. So that, that was really the couple of year period that I was about ready to go to school and go the other way, but, but some things opened up and doors opened up and, and it all came together. Let me back up on that, David. That that's, I, I guess I don't remember. I remember part of it, but so did you just run a truck series every now and then, then you replaced Mark Martin? That's right. I think I ran like 15 or 16 truck races in 2006, and I ran about two or three Xfinity races in 06, and then I went full-time cup racing in 07. Jeff, I don't know if you realize that's a big deal right there. I mean, a, absolutely. I was going to say, those are some big, big shoes now, you know, to fill. We had because Mark Martin has big feet, but you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, well, Mark was our, <laughs> our second guest on the show, right? We right. Let, He told us all the great things and we're reading and seeing more about mark martin today than we have in years you know he's out in social media a lot but my god congratulations man that was way cool you went to the tryout you run some truck races and then you went cup racing that's why i yeah. didn't remember that early years of you because there wasn't an early year yeah, yeah and I mean, man just... i um <clears throat> you're right mike that was a big jump and, and obviously uh, i i remember the conversation I, I was was a little nervous you know when jack roush says hey we want you to fill in you know for mark or you're our guy next year and and i had zero cup starts i had about five xfinity starts and about you know maybe 15 truck starts and and i said man i haven't you know i i don't know that i'm ready but there was no other options i mean that was it it was it was a take it or leave it i didn't have multiple offers it, it would have been uh, really good, I think, if I could have ran a full season of trucks or even a couple of seasons of Xfinity. But I was 20 years old, and I'd been chasing this dream. And you know, and and I got to give it to Jack and and Jeff Smith. I mean, they took 
you know, a, a gamble on me. And, and we had some of our rocky moments. We, um, we, we had some top fives and top tens my rookie season, but I also tore up a lot of race cars and, and looked lost at a lot of tracks. But they were pretty patient with me. I, I went on to drive for Jack for seven years and, uh, and was really uh, grateful to, to have that time. And, and there were opportunities that Jack probably could have and should have fired me. But, uh, but, but he was patient, and, and we had a lot of good memories and certainly didn't win as many races or, or didn't contend for a championship like we had all had hoped. But, um, but I had, had a lot of fun and, and a lot of great memories over there. David, what do you think it is or was about Jack? And I asked this question very sincere because we had Greg Biffle on a few weeks ago. Remember, Jeff, when the Biff says he got hired over the phone? Right. Like he, he, he had running races hardly, and he gets – but what do you think it was about Roush Racing that was able to give young guys like yourself that quick opportunity? Was that just because they were such a good race team? I think they were so deep with uh, with, with employees and talent and sponsorship, uh, and that was at a time when when money was was not an issue for most teams. And and you think about Jack Roush and Roush Racing in the mid two thousands and and those few years before I got there, he had five full time Cup cars with really good sponsors and really good drivers. He had three or four full time Xfinity cars and and a couple of trucks that were full-time and had plenty of sponsors and, and just thinking about how deep uh their their driver lineup was and and the people were working for them and uh that that was uh ralph racing what was the best team in motorsports at that time um you know they, they were better than hendrick you know J joe gibbs all those other teams were, were small compared to what Roush Racing was, and and for a lot of reasons, they, you know, have have dwindled down to what they are today. But uh, I think that they were just so deep with resources and people. I mean, he had all kinds of drivers on uh, under contract to just see kind of what worked out, I guess. Well, Jeff Ken, I think that's a pretty amazing story so far there, and I think we need to take a break and come back and resume that. Those are great stories. We're going to get deeper uh, in time with David Reagan when we come back. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Today's guest on the line, David Reagan, and we got up to the Cup Series and uh, we're talking about uh, uh, driving for Roush Racing. Once again, high atop the pit box inside the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, the great thing about this, we were just uh, kind of going back with David in a previous segment, is that he went straight from running a few truck races, a few Xfinity races, to replacing the legendary Hall of Famer, Mark Martin, in a cup car. That's huge. That, that's incredible. So, uh, David, if you'll tell us, you know, tell the story of when you got that ride and how it went from that point forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, you know, getting the, the – actually, I don't think it was a phone call. I think Jeff Smith just, just said, hey, come to my office. And uh, he said, hey, we, we decided that uh, you're going to replace Mark Martin next year. Uh, you know, at the time, Mark was going to retire. He, he ended up going on to race for several more years. But uh, I remember thinking, like, man, that, that, that I, that's a lot. And I also ran the Xfinity Series full-time. Uh, those first two years so uh, i ran you know every race in, in both series and traveled back and forth and and it was tough i mean i remember like being out in sonoma and not being able to run the the whole you know practice on saturday because we had to fly to milwaukee to go run the xfinity race and, and as a driver man it was awesome getting to do all this racing but but i looking back at it uh, I, I was probably stretched too thin you know i was the young man over at roush racing so i was doing every appearance that the other drivers uh didn't want to do you know flying places in the middle of the week you know doing all kinds of, uh, of autograph sessions and appearances and uh production days and so I, but but I, I didn't know any different that's all i i had i wasn't married i didn't have kids but um it, it would have been probably better for me on racetrack to just run one series or just just uh you know put a little more time and preparing for some of these tracks i mean it was uh, it was a lot, but it was an opportunity that I had in front of me, and, and it was like a sink or swim moment. But uh, I had a, a lot of fun and, and made a, a lot of good memories, obviously racing with uh, Greg Biffle and Matt Kenseth, and you know, Jamie McMurray was my teammate for a while, Carl Edwards. Those were all 
outstanding guys I learned a lot from. I wish I would have asked more questions, but uh, but, but had a, a very good run at Rouse Race. Talking about asking more questions, and I've always wondered this because I've really never drove with a team that I've had a teammate. When you were competing with those three or four other guys on your team, were you were you in total competition with them, or were you just a teammate trying to make the, the organization better? Well, if you know Jack Roush, he, he encourages uh, competition within the company. Um, he he, and I think that's a great thing if, if you can keep it healthy. And for the most part, it, it was pretty healthy. But at times, you would have you know, crew chiefs, engineers, you know, doing some things that they wouldn't tell the other team uh, just because they wanted to be the, the best, uh, you know, finisher uh, amongst the organization. You know, there was some pride to that. And that was something that uh, the first thing you looked at on a leaderboard when you came in from qualifying or practice was not where you're at on the sheet, but where you're at compared to all of your teammates. And, and Jack, uh, he, he created a little bit of that culture, which I think in general was, was really good because it creates some healthy competition. But, but there were some times where, you know, I, I could feel like, you know, other drivers would get a, a newer car maybe before uh, I would, or, or I would get something before they would. Or if we found a little trick, you know, we would try to hold it, you know, close to our selves and, and not tell our, our teammates because we were definitely competing against them so that's uh yeah that is one of the small negative things that comes with with being on a large team but but mostly anything that i had if i went to one of the other crew chiefs or, or certainly the drivers that they would tell me but oftentimes you know i, I felt like i might have been bothering them or, or i was so busy doing other stuff i, I didn't make the time to go and, and, and sit down with Matt or sit down with Greg and Carl and, and ask those questions. And uh, I felt like they, um, you know, they're all Hall of Fame guys. You know, I think they're some of the best drivers that, that we've had in, in the last 25 years of racing. And I think that's another thing that made Roush Racing so successful uh, during that time. But, uh, but no, it, it was a great experience. Jack and I are still good friends today. Uh, Jimmy Finney was my crew chief my, my first couple of years there. And, you know, I still see him on a regular basis. And, uh, again, a lot of a lot of good memories and, and a lot of good people that I got to work with that, that were really smart. You mentioned Jimmy Fenning for a second. I, I heard something the other day. I mean, is Jimmy still a kind of an integral part over at Roush Racing? Or Roush he Fenway is. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he is a, an integral part. And, and your old buddy, uh, Matt Pusha, you know, he, he was actually my very first crew chief at Roush Racing. Uh, Matt was hired on to just hang bodies and do arrow work on the uh, the truck series i know he did all of the work uh on some of your trucks that you won races with we won that um, novel race at daytona that was a matt pusha body on that truck that, that that's right yep. and so uh matt was my first crew chief i ran the martinsville truck race in 2006 that was my first race for roush and uh, matt was my crew chief so he's been there that whole time so matt and jimmy finnegan are kind of running the uh, the day-to-day -day operations over at, at roush and yeah, Jimmy's still very well respected, and, and Matt, he knows all the ins and outs of building cars, working on cars, crew chief, and so, yeah, that those guys do, uh, yeah, that they're doing a good job trying to get that program turned around. Well, Jeff, I'm glad I was able to be an asset to, to Matt's career, you know. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Taught him everything he knows. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I ask these questions, they sound a little redundant, but our fans love hearing and wanting to know more and more in the in-depth part. If I remember right, Roush Racing, when David Reagan was there, was more uh, had advanced a lot more into the technical side, engineers and all that. Uh, do, do I have my, my thoughts right, or am I off on that? Didn't weren't they one of the first Cup teams to actually use what you call data and engineering advice? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, and I think Jack has publicly said that that while that greatly benefited them while they were moving in the right direction they had some bad information and they kind of went down a hole uh around the time that that i was leaving in 2011 12 13 with this next uh with the cot the car of tomorrow that was introduced that, that that's kind of the beginning of, of what derailed roush and and, and kind of hurt them uh that they really doubled down on some of the information as far as how they view their race cars, how they build the race cars, maybe how quick they react to rule changes and stuff. And I think that hurt Roush Racing. Uh, I don't remember specifically some of the, those decisions, but 
well, when you look at, at where Roush started uh, struggling uh, on track performance in, in the, you know, 2012 to maybe 2014 or 15, um, that they they did. And, and I remember Jack publicly saying, man, we just followed some, some bad in, in engineering uh, directions and we've got to re reverse the ship, so to speak. Gotcha. So you win your, right, Jeff? Coke 400 is David's first Coke win. Coke 0 400. Coke they 0 400. 2011. 2011. Tell, tell us about that moment, that final lap. You, you took the white, and you, you just need to lead one more lap, and you're going to win. That would have been your first cup race, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I had won a couple of Xfinity races uh, driving for Jack, and, and those were big moments, but, but they weren't cup wins, and it's all about winning cup races. I think winning those Xfinity races probably saved my job uh, in 2009 and 2010 because uh, well, we just weren't running well on track. But really, 2011 what, what was a great season for us. I almost won the Daytona 500. We you know, got black flagged on that uh, green-white checkered for changing lanes. And then we, we went on to have, uh, you know, I think we ran third at Richmond. We ran second in the Coke 600. We sat on the pole at Texas and ran good. So, so we had run well up into that summer race, but I just hadn't won a race. Um, sat on the pole in Indianapolis and uh, and led a lot of the, the race there, and uh, finally got that win. It was I don't I don't even really remember celebrating. It was just more of a relief. Like man, it, it, it finally got that win. It, it it finally came through. I'm glad that's off my shoulders. Um, and I'm not much of a you know I, I don't get really mad and I don't get really happy. I I, I stay pretty even kilter most of the time. So. That, that win was just a big relief that it was cool. My, my wife was there. We weren't married at the time, but my girlfriend at the time, my mom and dad, my older brother, Adam, uh, I think even a couple of aunts and uncles were there. So it, it was a cool moment to have some of those uh, uh, fans and, and friends and family all in victory lane. Yeah, I was talking to a couple guys this morning on my way up here to do the show, and they said, who's your guest? And I said, David Reagan. They said, well, David Reagan's got the coolest brother in the world, Adam. Biggest cheerleader for David. Tell us a little bit about Adam because anywhere, I remember him walking up to me years ago and he goes, David's going to beat you. You know that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and right. we shake hands and we go on, you know, he's as cool as can be. So, Yeah, I, I've got an older brother that has Down syndrome and, and he is a big race fan and, and he certainly was my biggest cheerleader. And, and like you said, Mike, uh, whoever I was racing, it didn't matter. You know, I, I was going to beat him. I was going to wreck him. You know, I, I, I was uh, was that guy. And it didn't matter if it was Jimmy Johnson or Dale Earnhardt Jr. or, or Danica Patrick. He, he would walk up and say the same thing. So <laughs> it, it was uh, a lot of fun uh, to have Adam around the racetrack. And, you know, the community of NASCAR competitors treated Adam like family where, you know, he could walk up and down pit road and everybody would talk to him and speak to him. And he, he really uh, enjoyed those years and, and still comes to the racetrack today and, uh, you know, recognizes a lot of people. So, yeah, Adam's definitely uh, my biggest fan over the years. Yeah. Great, great young man. Great, great person. So you have uh, you win the Coke 400. And uh, I'm leading to a story because I need to find what sponsor was on that car when you uh, UPS UPS. All right. So our, our extraordinary technician, Rich, told me when he come in here, says David Reagan has a UPS truck. Is that true or not? Well, it, it is. I, I have, but I sold it back to UPS uh, just last year. <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those things you, you can have too much stuff. And, and my rule of thumb is if I don't drive it, if I don't wear it, if I don't use it in a, at least a calendar year, it, it's time to get rid of it. So I, uh, I was trying to organize and clean up a little bit, and, and, and I sold it back to UPS. Uh, you should have you tricked it out, turned it into a nice limo or something yeah, like that, so right? Well, you know, put a high-performance motor in that thing so you could actually say, hey, that thing really hauls the mail. I should have had that advice a year ago, and I yeah. would have kept it. So, so what is the deal about UPS? Since you, had a, you said you sold it back to them, I don't see any UPS trucks anywhere. Do they not let – the average person buy one or get one or whatever that, that's right yeah so this uh, they usually crush all of their vehicles when they they get used or, or they're at their at their um, their time because they're they're so uh 
sensitive about their brand identity that they don't want you know uh mike's insulation company to buy a ups truck and like park it and use it because people associate that brown ups delivery truck uh as someone who they can trust i mean they they come into offices into your homes they know garage codes so that, that that's why ups is so sensitive to their brand and, and that ups logo but uh, i had a, a 1938 uh, ups package car that uh, somehow did not get crushed and uh, and actually a uh, a friend of my uncle's had contacted him about it he was a uh, a car dealer and he had had it since the 1950s and um and i guess uh his family uh someone had died and they were trying to get rid of it and they're like hey your, your nephew drives for ups would he want this well we looked into it i, I talked to the the folk there's a guy who runs the archives for uh ups that, that collects all this old memorabilia and he uh, was able to verify that it was a ups package car that was used in uh, chicago in the 1940s and uh, whenever it was decommissioned somehow it, it got lost and it didn't get crushed so um so I, I bought it from the individual you know and uh 10 or 10 or 12 years ago and, and we had some fun with it we, we drove it around town a little bit it, put it on display at the auto fair here at Charlotte Motor Speedway and, you know, enjoyed it. But it, it was a single seater, you know, both open doors. Uh, it had the small flathead Ford. It was all original and it had a top speed of about 35 miles an hour. Yeah. So it, it wasn't that practical of a vehicle to drive around town and, uh, and it took up some space. And, and so, uh, yeah, I talked to the UPS folks just, just a year ago said, Hey, I'm, I'm cleaning up. I, I've got some old cars that I, I want to get rid of, and, and, and would you guys want this? And they, of course, said, yep, you know, we, we want it back, and, and, and it's sitting in a, a showroom down in Atlanta at their corporate office. That's cool. They've, they, they did some very clever ad campaigns back in the day. Oh, they did. EPS, they were great. Right? Not very aerodynamic, that truck, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> some very yeah, clever slow. ad campaigns. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rich... That's the whole story about the UPS. Start. There we go. We got that. Our day so, is made. So, Jeff, why don't we come back and finish up uh, the final segment and talk a little bit more about maybe some hot rods with David. We're talking to David Rigg, and you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name's Jeff Kent. We're talking to David Reagan. Uh, the pride and joy of Unadilla, Georgia. How about that? Unadilla. That's a cool name, home, isn't it? Home to the famous Reagan Racing family. Also home to Myron Mixon. Right, David? That's right. Uh, you know, he's the mayor of Unadilla, Georgia, and, and the best uh, barbecue smoker in the country, I think. Myron is a five-time barbecue world champion, Mike, and he's the mayor. Of Unadilla, Georgia. How about that? Did you know that? No, I, I didn't, and I'm just I'm thinking about what you're saying there, and I'm thinking, well, David Reagan had nothing but success. You know, he was being led by the greatest barbecue guy in the world. And having gone to high school, lived in Georgia for a long time, I bet that is some awesome barbecue. Yeah, it, it, it is. So I'm glad you, you mentioned. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he does have some good barbecue. I, I can't cook much of anything, so I'll let him do the cooking. Well, David, we were talking about your old UPS truck or old UPS car, and you, you sent it back to UPS. They got it in storage down there. But what do you got in your garage for some cool old cars? I'm sure you got some. You're well known to having an old police car around now and then, they tell me. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, I, I love the Andy Griffith show, and uh, and I bought an old uh, Andy Griffith uh, Mayberry police car, uh, and it's a 1960 uh, a Ford Fairlane, uh, and the Fairlanes were used only the first two years uh, of the Andy Griffith show in 61 and 62. After that, they started using the Ford Galaxy, but uh, the Ford Fairlane, uh, you know, a cool big car, the old Ford, it's like a tank almost. And um, yeah, I, I, I love driving it around town. It's, you know, an original uh, police car. It wasn't used in the movie, but it was a, a police car that. Um, uh, that, that was used in, in the 1960s, and then uh, someone had painted it up, and, and we did a little restoration job on it. But that, that's a fun car. I've got an old uh, pickup truck that uh, my, my dad drove as a daily driver when I was a kid. It's a, a 1964 Chevrolet truck that 
uh, will be restored. And I like all my stuff original. I'm really not into the resto mods and all the the, the new stuff. So all my my cars and trucks are uh, original bias plot tires, drum brakes, you know, six volt battery systems. I, I kind of like how they were used back then. Uh, an old Corvette. Um, I, I do have one of the, the four GTs that. Uh, that they uh, used in the last or produced in the last couple of years to go back and, and run the 24 hours of Le Mans. So, so that's the cool car that I have, but, but I don't drive it any. It, it just sits there and, and we look at it. There you go. You, you keep that somewhere in the area or is that some museum somewhere? No, I've got a shop here uh, just right up the road from you guys uh, here in uh, Kannapolis, and, and that's where I've got a little office, and I go there a lot, and um, and I've still got – I don't have any of my old race car stuff, but I do have some of my old uh, cup cars that Jack gave me a car uh, one time. I, I bought uh, the last car for my rookie season that we finished 10th with at Homestead uh, my rookie year, and um, I've got a, a car from Front Row Motorsports that – uh, I ran, uh, I don't know, one year before we switched over to, to the Mustangs. It was a Ford Fusion. So I did want to keep a few of them. I just have those in storage just to, to look at. And, and maybe one day my, my children or grandchildren can talk about them and, and look at them. And, uh, but, no, I, I love tinkering on these cars when I, I'm not uh, doing something with the, the test team or, or doing something else. I, I'm over there, you know, charging a battery or pumping up a flat tire or, or fixing an oil leak to go, you know, drive it around town. Outstanding. Well, another thing, you know, it's fun doing this show because you find out things that you don't know about guys that you think you know anything about, Jeff. You right. don't know. Absolutely. But I, I know David, I, I've watched his career and through his career, he's been a real charitable type of guy for, I call it Shriners, things of that nature. But David, I was looking at Tell us what a Freemason is. You, you're, yes. you're a Freemason. That, that, that's right. So a, a Freemason is basically a, a men's fraternity that, that goes back to when, in biblical times, when, when King Solomon uh, built the, the first temple in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, King David's son, King Solomon, built this massive uh, temple, and, and basically that they were Masons uh, that, that, you know, worked with stone and cut the bricks and, you know, made the actual uh, temple. And so that's where the, the Freemasons came. It was a little group that, that, that built that uh, uh, temple and, and like a uh, palace area for King Solomon. And, uh, and that, that uh, fraternity, so to speak, has, has kind of stood the test of time. And, and uh, you know, it, it's all over the world. But the Shriners uh, kind of broke off of the, uh, the Freemasons um about 150 years ago and and they kind of turned into their own little just a men's fraternity to you know a friendship fellowship um and and uh philanthropy uh and they started these hospital systems in uh, 1922 to uh combat the polio epidemic so uh this obviously year 2022 so they're celebrating their 100th year anniversary the shriners hospitals are and uh, but you have to be a mason in order to become a Shriner. So I, I went through my local lodge and, and became a Freemason. And, and I wanted to be a Shriner because I saw the important work that they were doing uh, for these hospitals around the country that, you know, treat young kids with burns or with uh, orthopedic needs that maybe have been injured or even born with spinal cord injury or, you know, they get an arm, you know, cut off or something. They have to have a prosthetic. Uh, the Shriners will take care of them uh, regardless of their ability to pay as a family. So, you know, I thought it was a great group of people, uh, of men doing a, a neat thing that a lot of people just didn't know about. And I didn't know anything about them. And, and so over the years, you know, in, in NASCAR, there are very generous uh, industry sponsors and other drivers and team owners that they generally give a lot. Of. And so, yeah, we started doing some stuff to raise money for the hospitals and, and still do it today. And um, and had a, a lot of good memories and a lot of fun uh, doing uh, doing some of that stuff. Well, I, I compliment you for that. There's so many people that don't realize the things behind the scenes that not just drivers, but all, a lot of athletes and just individuals do. And I I, I seen that. And my uh, my father-in-law was a mason, and so okay, cool. that it, it intrigued me a little bit. And so I'm I'm going to ask one more degree of that. What is a master mason? You got your master mason degree. That, that's right. So, so a master mason is when you go through three levels of it. There's ultimately 33 levels uh, of masonry, where basically you you learn a lot of the history 
in masonry and, and how it's evolved uh, over time in different cultures and different languages. And, um, and, 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 you know, there's some people that it's almost like a little bit of a, of a secret society, so to speak, because a lot of our founding fathers who uh, drafted and signed the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, they were all Masons. Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, you know, John Adams, a lot of those guys were, were, were Masons. And I think it was just kind of like an, a, a statesman type thing to do. You know, uh, it, it was a manly thing to be a part of this uh, fraternal uh, organization. And so, uh, so a master mason, though, is one who's, uh, who's made it through three degrees so they can hold a seat uh, in the lodge. They can kind of help the day-to-day the -day, uh, whatever operations, but then you have to be a master mason in order to become a shriner. So, so that's, what I, that, that's what I went and went through. Okay, so now I'm on the humor side of this, okay? That was, so can you lay a concrete block? So I can. I don't know that it's going to be square, uh, <laughs> but, but I, 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 I do know how to use a right angle. Uh, I, I probably can, uh, can do it, but I don't know that anyone would pay me to do it. It would certainly have to be, uh, uh, be, be a freebie or just helping a buddy out. Yeah, well, we, I'm proud of you for that, those contributions to society there, David. Is, is there a... Is that some way that, I mean, is that open for guys, anybody that wants to get involved, learn more about it? Is there a way to learn more about it or to go somewhere, yeah, you know, website or absolutely. anything like that? I tell you what, you know, there's, like you said, you know, your father-in-law, there's so many people that are Masons that you just don't really know about. Um, there, There's, you know, millions of them in, in, the, in, the, in the country, you know, right here. I think there's over a million uh, Masons that, that, that are members of this fraternity, and obviously— um, yeah, there's some, uh, some time that it takes to, to learn. They don't write anything down. All of it is, is verbal. Uh, so I had to, to, to meet a, a, one of the older guys in our lodge and, and, and literally go hang out with them in the evenings. And, and he would kind of teach you some of the, the history, like where it came to be, some of the rules. And, and, and I didn't get to go to college, but I think some of the fraternities that, uh, that, that some of the guys have in, in, different college settings they're kind of a spinoff off of some of those same fundamental principles of you know friendship fellowship you know brotherly love uh and, and you know supporting your community it, it's all about uh making your community where you live a, a better place and so um i'm not as active as as i would like to be uh, but once my kids get older, you know, and, and, and life can settle down a little bit more, uh, they're a great group of guys and a lot of um, a lot a lot of guys in, in this area uh, that you'd probably be surprised. A lot of people in NASCAR, you know, our, our, our Masons or officials would come up to me and say, hey, you know, I'm a Mason. And, you know, so, yes, you, you can. Uh, have, if you have some interest, I'm sure uh, there's a lo local lodge in most all towns. Uh, I'm sure they have a website where you can get on and, and check out and, you know, go uh, go sit in on one of their meetings or go ask some questions. And then uh, the, the shrine is such a good, you know, fraternity as well that um, they have a lot of fun in their communities, but, but also have greater uh, objective, and, and that's to raise money and, and operate 22 hospitals uh, around the country. Stan, what do you think about that, Jeff? I think it's very cool, and he's David is very well spoken on on the topic, so you can tell he's passionate about that. As time winds down in this segment, David, uh, you ran the Daytona 500, the number 15 Ford Mustang for Rick Ware Racing. What is next in 2022 for you? Yes, that's a great question, and and my next race, I'm going to run the Atlanta. Uh, I think it's the Quick Trip 500 in two weeks. Uh, my hometown track, uh, you know, it's something that, that I can go back and, and see some of those uh, friends and, and my fans down there. I'm going to run uh, at Talladega in April and then back at Daytona in August for the uh, summer race. So that's the four races that I've uh, planned this year, depending on, you know, my schedule and how things are rolling. Uh, I, I may would pop into a race this fall or, 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 or summer. Um, but my main objective is, is first – being home a little bit more, spending some time with my wife and kids and uh, making sure they know who I am, uh, but then also uh, doing my, my duties for Ford and, and this test team and then um, on occasion uh, do some studio work for Fox Sports. So uh, well, we have a lot of fun. I feel like I have the, the best of both worlds where I get to race a little bit and be involved. But, man, when that race was over, uh, you know, on a Sunday night, I can go crawl in my bed and, and, and go to sleep. I don't have to worry about 
catching a plane and fighting traffic and, you know, uh, doing interviews and, and, and getting home late at night. I'm, I'm already home. I totally agree. Retirement is pretty cool, son. You, yeah. you, you're working harder than me. Like I tell everybody since I retired a couple of years ago, my, my schedule these days, six Saturdays and a Sunday. Six Saturdays and a Sunday. That's it. Well, hey, real quick as we're getting close to the end here, David, and I got to ask this because I've known Rick Ware for a long time, and it shows Rick Ware Racing as your team owner. But since you're a you know the engineer driver per se for Ford Motorsports, do you now when you drive Rick's car, do you have all the latest, greatest little nuances and all the engineering tips to make that car run up front? Well, I definitely work hard to try to make sure that it does. Uh, but but you know, uh, Mike, that sometimes that, that that's hard to come by. But Rick has worked uh, extremely hard to try to grow his program, and he doesn't have just a, a huge bank account to, to draw from like some of these other team owners do. So Rick really is a, a racer, and he he's at the race shop and the racetrack, and, and it worked out just perfectly that he had a charter that he did not have a, a full-time driver for. So, you know, myself, uh, uh, Ryan Priest is going to drive that 15-car sum uh, this year. Uh, one of Ford's uh, GT drivers, uh, Joey Hand who ran the 24 hours of Le Mans for Ford. Uh, he's going to run all the road course races uh, for Rick. So, you know, Rick's making a, a commitment to try to improve uh, the quality of his team. And, and we're trying to do our part to try to help him some along the way. But, no, it, it's uh, it, it's very much a, a Rick Ware racing program. Uh, we do get a little bit of support from Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, they build some of our cars and and, uh, and help support a little bit. But, yeah, Rick's got some good employees that work hard that, uh, you know, we're trying to help and uh, encourage and, and, and see uh, a team like that uh, slowly get a little more competitive uh, each and every week. Outstanding. Well, in the final minute or two here, you got anything you want to tell us we don't know about you or anything that's coming well, up in your life? You know, I, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. And, and you know, Mike, uh, I was always a, a huge fan of, of watching you race and, and obviously following and then somewhat of your footsteps going to work for Barry Owen and, and him kind of being my mentor as a young kid. Uh, I got to see a lot of your, you know, Bush Series uh, trophies and pictures and see a lot of stuff on the walls uh, at Barry's shop. And then, uh, you know, getting to race with you a little bit. And uh, it's always been fun to uh, to have you kind of as a neighbor. We just live right down the street from each other. And then, you know, racing with Matt and Chrissy over the years and knowing Lindsay, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's cool to see you guys and, and still see you around town. And, and we appreciate you, you having me on. And I'll make sure and tell uh, my dad and, and Adam that we got to hang out and chat a little bit. And, and I'm sure they'll look forward to seeing you down the road. Well, we look forward to it, David. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.